it's written. We've talked about the way in which Peter tries to deal with suffering. We're now coming to the end of this letter of Peter, most likely a letter that was intended to circulate among all of the areas of, for the most part, what is currently known as Turkey, um, bounded by the Mediterranean Sea and the Black Sea. And this letter intended to encourage them in the midst of some very difficult times because most of the people who would hear this teaching from Peter would be a class of citizens who probably aren't even considered citizens, people who have virtually no rights, who are trying to live out their faith in a system that is not made for them at all, but trying to be faithful to the call of the gospel and the good news. Situations that we would find, at least at some level, pretty difficult to try and step into their skin or step into their shoes. And yet in the midst of Peter writing to them, he speaks pretty significantly to everyone some very important principles and pieces that help us in our journey. And I would say that um, of all of the portions of First Peter, there are some pieces of this passage that resonate with me about as much as anything I find in this letter. I don't know if it will be true for you as well, but I hope there's something here that you find that Peter speaks right to where you are at. The focus where I'm going to very specifically zero in on is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. In verse 6, Peter says to the people, humble yourselves. It's pretty direct. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He then moves in verse 7 to what we ought to do with the things that press in on us and cause us to worry. He says, cast your, all your anxieties on the Lord for he cares for you. So verse 6, be humble. Verse 7, cast your anxieties on the Lord. Verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. He goes on to say, because your enemy, Satan, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The title of this message is Big Bark, Little Bite. There are no dogs in this passage, so it probably ought to be big roar, little bite, but that's not a saying. So I put big bark, little bite. I'll tell you right up front my contention. Maybe it's my thesis for this message. It is very simply this, that Satan's bark is so much louder than Satan's bite. And we get caught up in things that invade our world, our attention, come on the threshold of our journey, and it garners our attention. The noise gets so loud that we find it difficult to hear anything else than the circumstances that we're facing, the problems that are right in front of us, and it consumes us. I want you to hear me loud and clear. I am not at all 
minimizing the things that some of us face here this morning. Some enormous issues, some huge problems, some overwhelming circumstances. I I am aware of that. I I just would like to contend that in this passage, Peter attempts to help us put those things into proper perspective. So I'm not minimizing what you're facing or what I face. And I'm not pretending that there aren't significant problems on our journey. But I want to use this passage to give us a context in which to see them. A lens through which to view them. So we find this call in verse 6. Humble yourselves. Secondly, Cast your anxieties on the Lord. Third, stand firm. Uh, Pardon me. um, Be self-aware and alert. And then the fourth one in verse 9 is stand firm. So those are the four verses that talk to us about what we are supposed to do. Let me suggest to you that many of us, if not all of us at some time, fall into the trap of doing this in reverse order. We work real hard at trying to stand firm in the face of difficult circumstances. We work real hard at trying to garner all of our strength and be self-disciplined to resist. We put our strength into opposing the things that are right in front of us. And then maybe after we've done all of that, we might seek out God and try and find a place of strength there. That's upside down. It's not how it was intended to work. It's not the call on our life. There are many reasons why we do that, but that reverse order so often leaves us in more pain and hurting deeply and wrestling with huge questions that we have about God. You'd think in this passage that we might tackle that age-old question, why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people? Peter, the writer of this letter, is basically saying, why would you not expect that bad things happen to good people? That's part of the journey. So now let's talk about what we do with that in a very, very practical way. So if I were to begin to paraphrase what I think these four verses are saying, I would say that verse 6 is saying, number one, admit you need help. That is so very hard for us to do. We are independent people. Saying we need help admits weakness, and somehow we think that's a bad thing. Admitting we need help, what if that ruins a potential promotion? What if it makes people think that I can't do the job that I'm supposed to do? What if it shows a chink in the armor and people will chip away and all of a sudden it all starts falling down? What if people see through the veneer and actually realize that I do have my own set of fears and apprehensions and concerns? I don't know where we got the notion 
that admission that we need help is a bad thing. Admission that we need help brings us into a place of having access to resources beyond anything we could ever imagine. And it comes from multiple sources. When I admit to a friend of mine over a, something at a coffee shop and say, I need help, in that moment, I have a friend who's rallying to my help. I have the resources of the friend that I just confessed it to. When I speak about it in the midst of the community of believers, you have people who are ready to step into those spots. Do we always do it perfectly? No. Do we miss cues sometimes? Yeah, far often, more often than when we'd like to. But when we acknowledge this need for help, there are among us those who just come around and say, let me find some way that I can shoulder some of the burden with you, that I can help, that I can participate in what's going on in your journey. When we acknowledge this before God, we tap into the greatest resource of all. The resource that has all the resources right in God's hands. In fact, the truth is that when we admit it to a friend and a friend steps into our life or we admit it in our need to the community of believers, it is God who is providing the resources through all those individuals. When we realize that God is our source and how much we are dependent on help. That's where the beginning of the reversal of all of our thinking begins to take place. The second piece of this is cast all your anxieties on him for he cares for you. Our anxieties come in all kinds of forms. They invade our thinking. They start working on us. And before you know it, it's all we can think about. It's amazing how something small can all of a sudden so dominate every part of what's going on in your life's journey as it slowly begins to command more and more of your life. The image that comes up for me is a story that I told several years back when we lived in another home. I noticed upstairs... In the bedroom window, two dead bees that were on the inside of the window. And it caught my attention. One dead bee, not a big deal. Two dead bees, hmm. Inside of the window, ah. We lived in a part of the country where you don't leave your windows or doors open like you sometimes do here in San Diego. There, everything gets sealed up. And I knew there weren't any windows broken, but I just dismissed it. A couple days later, I saw a live bee on the inside of a different window. This one wasn't dead, so that caused me more concern. I had taken a vacuum and just kind of gotten the two dead ones. Now I was prepared to go after the live one with the vacuum if I needed to. It's not a really good thing because they don't die when they go through the vacuum. They just bounce around on the inside for a while. But I asked my wife two days later, have you noticed any bees in the house? And she said, yeah, I saw one today in the house. Whoa, something's wrong here. 
having checked all the windows, the front door screen, as I'm walking past the living room fireplace, I saw one fly out of the fireplace into the living room. It was not a good moment in my journey. I quickly went and got trash bags and duct tape. This fireplace was getting sealed. And I called the bee people, whoever handles that. I forget who it was, but there are bee people that do this. And they had, not the bee people, the bees, had a hive in my fireplace. Apparently, we had not used the fireplace enough, because that seemed like an easy solution to me, but there were so many of them at this point, I thought that could be really problematic in the early stages of this fire. So I sealed it, called the bee people. What was incredibly unsettling was, and I'm guessing it was just because I had not noticed before how many were coming out of the fireplace, that as you would walk by the fireplace, you would hear them fluttering and hitting the plastic. It was all I could hear in the house. I could be in the other room and I could hear that going on. And you couldn't avoid it because in order to get from the kitchen to the front door, that was the pathway you typically took by the fireplace. It was consuming and hard to think about anything else. I wouldn't compare your problems to a bee issue. Some of the things we face are a hundred times more significant than that. But I would like to actually take a more extreme example. I mentioned three weeks ago that if you saw me wave my hand, it wasn't that I was waving at you, it was an acknowledgement of the gnat problem we are currently having in San Diego. The gnats that just seem to be everywhere. A frustration, an annoyance. But I would remind you, if we trace back the gnat problem, what precipitated it, the gnats are so prevalent because our soil in this area is so moist. Our soil is so moist because of the rains that we've had in the winter and spring this year. And the rains that we've had have filled our reservoirs and helped us to get past the drought that we've been in for years. Interesting how an annoying consequence really is connected to an incredible blessing to have water in California. Sometimes it's good to look at some of the issues that are annoyances and see if it's possible to reframe them. Gnats are not that big of a deal until they get really close to your face and head then it's just really irritating. The worst is when they get close to your ear. I don't know if you've been talking to somebody who has had a gnat that got right in their ear in that instantaneous half of a second, everything else in the world disappears and they are startled to take care of whatever that was in their ear. It has their complete attention because 
an imperceptible noise all of a sudden sounds like a B-52 bomber when it gets inside your ear. The worst combination of these two stories was being at a baseball game when some gentleman to my left had a bee fly into his ear and got stuck. I couldn't even stay. He missed the whole game, of course, because there's a bee in his ear. But when something becomes so right in front of you, it commands all of your attention. And when that happens, it's hard to see past it. This passage says, cast all of your worries, all of your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. Again, I don't want to suggest that your problems are simply a little annoying gnat. But I would suggest to you that it's easy for your issues, the things you're facing, to so cloud out the truth of the good news that you miss out on the good news. Because Jesus' death on the cross gave us victory. It wasn't just, it wasn't at all for Jesus that Jesus died. Jesus died to defeat sin and death and to hold on the cross all of that on our behalf. And so this admonition then in verse 8 is to be alert. For me, it is be aware. Be aware of a couple of things. Be aware not only of the circumstances that are going on around you, but be aware of what's going on inside of you. I contend that the biggest battles we face are the battles within, not the battles without. It's the wrestling that happens inside, the triggers that set us off, the issues that evoke in us all kinds of things that we don't like or that distress us or sometimes cripple us. It's interesting, this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, it is a, it is a time where we um, recognize those who have given their lives in military service. It started out as Decoration Day, acknowledgement of the many people that would go to the graves of those who had passed and, and do some things, bring flowers or otherwise decorate the graves. It, it actually started, at least as best we understand, as an acknowledgement of the many, many lives lost in the Civil War. And I don't know how accurate all of the statistics are that I have read. I know that there's an attempt to be accurate. But if you were to take all of the wars that the United States has been involved in, all of the battles, all of the wars, all of the skirmishes that the United States has been involved in since their inception, we would have somewhere in the neighborhood of 666,000 military lives that have been lost and somewhere around 13 million people whose lives have been lost as a result of those battles here in the United States. Of those 13 million, nearly half were lost during the Civil War. 
of those 666,000 soldiers, about a third were lost during the Civil War. It's sobering to me to realize that the greatest loss of lives was an internal battle. We're fighting ourselves. We're wrestling with internal issues within our country. If we don't address those things that cause such war within, that's of so much greater potential disastrous consequences than the wars, at least it seems to me, that take place without. I'm not saying that those aren't very dangerous things, that the things that are outside of us aren't problematic. I, I'm just saying that being aware of what's happening within is incredibly crucial. And so often we are always looking at those things that are outside of us. This scriptural admonition, I think, very clearly says, be aware, be alert. And it's not just to look at the outside, but to allow our eyes to turn inward and say, what are those triggers? What are the mechanisms? What are the pieces from my past that I hang in onto? What has kept me in prison? Why am I locked up in some arenas? What is happening inside, Lord? And that's the promise of God's Spirit. Jesus says, I go not only to prepare a place for you, but I'm going so that he, the advocate, the counselor, can come and abide with you and abide in you. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit so that we can be even more aware of God's work in us so that God can better live through us. So, humble yourself. Admit, I need help. Then, move into that place where you turn your anxieties over to the Lord. Trust God. What keeps you from trusting God? Then be aware. The fourth piece of this that comes out of verse 9 is then stand strong. Our faith does not call us to a passive withdrawal. There are times when we need to withdraw to pray and to prepare. There are times when we need to be contemplative. But our faith doesn't call us to a life of withdrawal. It calls us into an active faith where we put our faith into practice. This is a call in this passage to stand strong in your faith. I, I remember a really powerful moment in my spiritual journey. I can remember where it was. We were living in Oneonta, New York. I can remember the apartment in which we were dwelling, and I was in that apartment, the second floor um, of a house that had been broken up into different units. And I, I had grown up in the church. I had read scripture. I'd given my life to the Lord. I had said, God, my whole life is yours. I'm all in. I had sung hymns. I, I had heard this notion before. 
but there was something that changed. It was in a moment, but it took so long to begin to appropriate it to my life. And it was this understanding, this belief that what Christ had done on the cross was not only true, but it was for me. And it wasn't just that my sins had been forgiven, but that Christ had defeated sin and death. Now, I'd heard that before as you are hearing it again now. I understand that this isn't some like brand new statement. But I found as I looked on my life the many times that I had allowed the things of my life to be stronger than the Christ in my life. That the circumstances somehow got bigger than what Christ had done on the cross. Here's what I came to believe, and I believe to this day, that the issues that fight against me, the issues that are prowling around like a roaring lion, trying to get my attention and detract me from the truth. They are either temporary in comparison to eternity. They are either temporary or they are a lie. I really believe that. That they are a lie that I have come to believe or they are temporary, certainly real, but temporary, and eventually will fall away to the power of Christ and what God is doing in the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that I've somehow made them minuscule. It doesn't mean that somehow they disappear right now. But it gives me a completely different perspective. It calls me to live into the power of the cross. It calls me to put my trust and faith in what God has done. It calls me into places where I believe that what God said is true, not in just some far-off way, but right now in this moment. I need to humble myself to say I need help. God, those of you who travel with me, I need help. It just is part of my journey. I'm going to do my best to take all of my anxieties and burdens and put them at the foot of the cross. I'm going to try and live into Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34, that passage that says, do not worry about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, any of the other stuff. Your father knows you need those things. He's taking care of the sparrows, the birds of the air. He's taking care of the grass of the field. And the proclamation is, you are worth so much more than those. He can take care of you. And that passage says, and let me just emphasize, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. There's enough worry today. One of the problems we have is, we worry so much about something that hasn't even come yet. It's, it's not as if God can take care of it because it's not even here yet. 
What God takes care of is today. And in that place, God handles the future. Oh God, don't let me be trapped by the slavery of worrying about what's not yet even come. But draw me into this moment so that as I put my anxieties at your feet and I trust in you, that you free me up to be more aware of myself, my circumstances, and that I might stand strong. Because what Christ did is complete. It may not yet be completed, but it's complete. And for me, that mantra of, oh God, it's either temporary or a lie. My trust is in you. My faith in you. Hold me there, oh God. Father, this morning, I offer up our prayers on behalf of all of us who are here this morning. I, I ask that you free us. Free us from those things that rob us of our joy. Free us from ruminating on the problems that take away our expectation and hope. Free us from the worries and anxieties that keep us so preoccupied with circumstances that we fail to see the blessing of your spirit. The swatting that we do of the gnat that's made it to the edges of our ear, the buzzing that sounds so loud, the roaring that just caught our attention. Lord, help us to clap it away. Help us to take one swat and in that moment, the roaring lion moves away and we move into the place of promised peace. We move into the place of hope. We move into that place where our anxieties have been replaced with trust. Where we relish what you did on the cross and surrender ourselves to your power, not the power of our circumstances. To your strength, not the strength of whatever it is that seems to have hold on us. So this morning, Lord, help us to humble ourselves, cast our anxieties on you, because you care for us. Help us to be alert, to stand strong. Oh, Lord, how much you love us. Amazing. What incredible grace. Thank you, Lord.